Amen. Amen. Great worship. What a great spirit of freedom. And those truths that we are declaring, that's what we were talking about a little bit this morning, how to actually make those truths a reality in our lives as we follow Christ and as we live in the midst of a culture that has a lot of need and has a great need to see a demonstration of God's presence, of His love, and of His power. I really want to talk to us this morning about the one thing I believe that determines our fulfillment as followers of Jesus Christ, that really determines whether or not we experience what the Lord intends for us, and that is a living faith, an ever-increasing faith. And I believe the one thing that does determine that very simply is prayer. But more specifically, I want to talk this morning about what I would call prevailing prayer, prayer that prevails, prayer that actually gets an answer. And that really is a concept that unfortunately is kind of foreign to a lot of believers. A lot of believers may pray or go through the motions or, as we say, toss one up, uh, when the need comes, but, uh, but to really have a testimony of answered prayer. And so I hope this morning to kind of break the mold of, of how we tend to view this incredible privilege that God has given to us to actually converse with Him, to be in His presence, to, to navigate through life with Him and under His direction. In Luke chapter 11, we have this uh, interesting story, and the disciples ask Jesus a question, and then He further elaborates His answer to them by sharing a story. Uh, Luke chapter 11, reading from verse 1 to 8. Uh, Luke writes, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say this, Father, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us day by day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who does us wrong, and do not bring us to hard testing. And Jesus said to his disciples, again, he's elaborating now on this prayer model he just gave them, suppose that one of you should go to a friend's house at midnight and say, friend, let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine who was on a trip has come to my house, and I don't have any food for him. And suppose your friend should answer from inside, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Well, what then? In other words, you're going to stop there, or what are you going to do? I tell you that even if he will not get up and give you the bread because you are his friend, yet he will get up and give you everything you need because you are not ashamed to keep on asking. Now, Jesus, in teaching this uh, principle of prayer and, and using this story to elaborate on what he's teaching the disciples, remember that he's talking about that in the context of a culture in which hospitality was everything. Uh, inhospitality was kind of like a mortal sin. You did not do that. You would bring shame on your name, on your household. It just was not conceivable. Hospitality was everything. And so Jesus tells this story, and it's kind of a bit of a humorous story. He says, there's a man who's home, and he's probably in bed himself, and knock comes to the door, and he discovers that the friend of his has been on a long trip, and uh, for any of us who have lived in Newfoundland or from Newfoundland, you know what it is to live on the mainland, and to have people drop in on the way to the boat or on the way to the mainland, whatever it may be, and it's not always at the most convenient hours, and they may not always stay for the convenient time, but uh, you're their friend. And so they stop, and that's what happened to this guy. So he has a friend who's on a journey, decide they're going to crash there for the night. It's getting too late to travel, so he stops, and he asks if he can stay, and of course he can. 
But the problem is, as was the custom of the day, he had nothing to put on the table. And so Jesus says the man goes next door to his friend, his neighbor, knocks on his door, and he says, listen, and he tells the story. And he says, would you give me three loaves of bread that I can feed my friend? Now, this neighbor is a little bit perturbed because it's late. Back in those days, they didn't have television and electricity. They didn't stay up late. So they basically went to bed when the sun went down. And so it's midnight, the Lord says. And so they've probably been hunkered down for the last three or four hours. If you notice, like trying to get children to sleep, especially young ones, the children are asleep. His wife's asleep. They were asleep. If they have any animals, they're brought in for the night. So everybody is all huddled together, probably living in a one-bedroom apartment type thing in that day. They're all huddled together right up to the door. And so when this neighbor comes to ask for what may seem like a small request, he is literally going to upset everything. If this man has to get up and walk through all of that and basically wake everybody up. And yet Jesus says that because of the man's persistence, the neighbor got up and gave him all that he needed. I want to talk to us this morning about a mindset that I really believe in these days we're living in really needs to possess us as the people of God, that we really need to get hold of this. This needs to be part of our regular walk with the Lord because I am convinced that he is so much more for each of us than what we tend to experience. You know, my 40 years of ministry, it really have, I've always had this basic conviction that motivates my ministry, and that is, is that God is a God of freedom. He is a God of redemption. He's a God of changed lives. And I'm sure many of you have seen the things that I've seen over the years. I mean, we've seen people set free from addictions. We've seen sick bodies healed. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen Christians who've been caught in a rut for years just being liberated from that and beginning to live in freedom again. We've seen all those things. So wherever you are this morning, I want to encourage you to know, or whatever you've been going through up to this point, God has more for you. He has a lot more for you. And if you want to do more than just pray, but if you want to actually see answered prayer, if you want to see breakthrough in some areas where you feel like, I've just been stuck in this and nothing has changed, or in this relationship, or things going around in my workplace and nothing seems to change, then I want to encourage you to understand this kind of prayer that Jesus says you should be praying. There's a few ingredients from this story that I see that have to do with prayer that we need to incorporate into our prayer lives. And the first thing is this. He talks about prayer that actually gets directed to the right place. Now, I want you to notice what this man does. He has a need. It's a very real need. And where does he go? He goes to his friend's house, okay? He doesn't go four or five doors down. He doesn't go, you know, some house that's a nicer home and maybe the people are more well off. But Jesus is very clear. In fact, he says it four times to emphasize the fact that this man goes to a home where he knows there is relationship. It is a known place of relationship. In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, how do we pray? In other words, they weren't just asking for a formula, but how can we pray like you pray? How can we connect with God like you do? How, how can we move through our day in a relationship with God where we're not just going through the motions, we're not just kind of living a religious life, but we're actually living and relating as somebody who has a connection with God? Because you see, in, in their day, not just in the, in the Jewish faith, but other faiths around them in other cultures, no other culture really knew God or their God. They were always terrified of the God they served, the idols they, they erected, whatever. But none of them had any idea, can I actually talk to this God? 
That's supposed to rule of my life. And yet they see in Jesus someone who actually walks with God and talks with God and communicates them, and his life makes a difference wherever he goes. So they're saying, Jesus, will you teach us how to do that? Will you show us what the key to that is? And Jesus says, and it's very significant, he says, when you pray, pray this, Father, understand that you are coming to your Father. Before you ask anything, think anything, say a single word, understand you are talking to your Father because the secret to answered prayer is relationship. You may remember the story in John chapter 11 when Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus. The man's been dead for, for uh, four days, I believe, four days. And uh, I love the way that King James puts it. He stinketh. I mean, he was dead, dead, right? Nobody expected anything to happen. Jesus surrounded by all these tears, all this fear, all this, all this unbelief. And he says in a quiet voice that only he can hear between him and the Father. Before he prays for, for, for Lazarus to be released, he just says, Father, I just thank you that you hear me. Jesus just had that, that certainty, that steadfastness in his heart with impossible odds. He says, Father, I'm not looking at that stuff. I'm just so glad as I stand here or about to just do this miracle. I'm so glad you hear me. I know you're going to do what I ask you to do. And so Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 11 to elaborate on his answer to the disciples about how to pray. And he says, in your time of need, he says, in this man's time of need, what did he do? Without hesitation, he goes to the house of his friend. Somebody that he knows. And my question to you this morning is very simply this. Where are you on your level of friendship with Jesus? Where are you? Think about that for a moment. I didn't ask what you believe. I didn't ask what you do for God. What do you do to actually carve a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? What do you do for that? What kind of disciplines? What do you do through the course of your day? So that when things happen, when, when life throws you a curveball, that your first reaction is not just to go and try to figure it out yourself, but your reaction is to immediately come to the one with whom you have a relationship, is to come before the God that you know. You see, I believe the problem most often is not that Jesus doesn't answer prayer. The problem is very simply this. We don't have a relationship with Jesus. That really is the issue for most believers. That relationship isn't there. And yet he wants you to know that he's with you every moment of every day. He wants you to know that you can hear him. That's what Jesus said. My sheep, my people, they know my voice. In other words, those who take time to develop a relationship with me, they know my voice. I'm not hiding from anybody. I'm not withdrawing from anybody. I've done everything necessary for you to come boldly into my presence and cultivate a relationship with me. It's totally up to you. But those who know me, I know who they are. Why? Because I spend time with them. We know each other. We have a friendship. We have a relationship. And those who know me, what do they do? They hear my voice. It's not complicated. We have a relationship, he says. And so if we will personalize our relationship with the Lord rather than just be religious about it, I really believe we'll see far more answered prayers. A second element found in answered prayers in this story is that they are prayers that are made at the most inconvenient times. Most of us have regular prayer time, right, each day. We take some time, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour, whatever it may be, and that is a wonderful thing. We need to do that. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the most powerful prayers are often prayed when you feel the least like praying. 
Those are the prayers that most times have a real impact. We look at Jesus' life. He's on the cross. He's dying. He's ready to draw his last breaths. And what does he do? He's on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I mean, what we see in that is Jesus is completely spent. He is worn out in his spirit. He feels cut off from God. And yet he's not done yet on the cross. The Bible says at his weakest moment, he just grabs all the strength he has that he can muster up. And he says, Father, into your hands, I place my spirit. Now I want you to notice there were no cliches. There were no faith statements. There was no formula. It was just simple, honest prayer before God. And friends, I believe that Jesus knows how to identify with us at those times when we feel least like praying. But you see, in those moments when you don't feel like praying, rather than giving up, if instead you would choose to gather up the last bit of strength you have and just say, Father, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But Father, I come to you. Father, I commit myself to you. Friends, it's as practical in, in those moments where maybe you're having a, a bit of stress in your relationship or about to have an argument with your spouse, right? But rather than giving into that, rather than allowing yourself to say something that you're going to regret or say something that's only going to do more damage to the relationship, what do you do? You take a moment and you just draw up that last bit of strength and you say, Jesus, I come to you. Jesus, help me. Help us. Lord, I just commit myself to you right now in the midst of all this. Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I want you to help us in this. I really believe that Jesus answers that prayer. Because again, the most powerful prayers are often prayed when we least feel like praying. Another principle I see in this story about answered prayers is they are prayers that are clear and prayers that are specific. Now, notice that when this man comes to his friend's house, his request is summed up in seven words only. Let me borrow three loaves of bread. The man doesn't say, friend, the friend to whom I have lent bread before, the friend who has been next door to me all these years, the friend whose children grew up with mine, the friend whose lawn I mowed when he was away. He doesn't do that. Just makes it simple. Friend, I have a need. I just need three loaves of bread, period. And I believe that Jesus says that when you pray, you begin with the word Father to remind yourself that you don't need to go through these lengthy prayers. You need to understand your Father already knows your heart. He knows what you need. Then why bother praying? Because you and I need to know where we need to go in the time of need. You see, if we just leave it there and say, well, God knows my needs, he'll take care of it anyway, what are we doing? We're still walking in our flesh. We're still figuring out things along the way, and by our actions, we're basically saying, well, God, here's my need. Obviously, you don't care because nothing's happening right now, or I wouldn't have gotten the situation in the first place, so I'm just going to kind of go do what I feel seems like the right thing to do, and I hope you'll take along, right? You ever prayed the prayer, Lord, if it's not your will, close that door. That's superstition. That's not prayer. The real prayer is, Lord, I close my door, and I get along with you. What did Jesus say? When you have a need, go into your prayer closet where nobody sees you. 
Nobody else hears you. Lock yourself in with your Father. Get alone with Him and listen to His voice. Why is that so important? Because however long the process may take, whatever things the Lord has to orchestrate to work all things together for the good, the first thing it has to do is to get you to sit still so you stop making decisions that further complicate things, drag things out, and make a mess of things. Have you ever bothered, not bothered to pray, done what seemed right in your own eyes, and you knew you only made a mess? You said the wrong thing. You made a wrong financial decision. Whatever the case may be, you come through. God, forgive me. You know, sometimes our prayer just needs to be, Lord, not only save me from my sin, Lord, save me from me. Just save me from the dumb things I do. And that's what the Lord is saying. Listen, get away from this superstition. Don't say, Lord, if it's your will, make it happen, or don't make it happen, or Lord, if it's your will, open the door or close the door. Jesus says if you have a real need, you close the door. You get alone with God. And it may be more than a half hour or five minutes. It may be an hour. It may be over the course of days, but what are you doing? You're constantly acknowledging the Lord in all of your ways, and in doing so, He is able to guide you step by step. You will feel led by the Holy Spirit. You will feel your decision-making process, the Lord checking your heart and saying, no, 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 don't make a decision on this right now. No, no, don't call that person. No, no, don't make an appointment with the bank manager. No, no, whatever it may be, listen to me. And when I give you freedom, then make that decision. That decision, what is he doing? He is navigating you through all these obstacles in order to bring you to that appointed end, to meet that need, to answer that prayer. Now, there are some times as we move through that process, what do we learn? We learn that it wasn't really a need after all. You know, we get so far and we realize, I'm sorry, Lord, that was stupid or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. But if it really is a genuine need, we keep walking with the Lord through it step by step. He promises to, guard, to order the steps of the righteous. He promises to help us step by step. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. What's he saying? Step by step, word by word, follow the Lord. But that happens in the context of prayer, but simple, specific prayers before the Lord. You don't have to pray long prayers. But what I would encourage you is maybe even to pray shorter prayers and then use the time that you save to sit there with the Lord and to listen. It's not enough just to go through our prayer time. And I would really encourage you as well, if you have a limit on your prayer time, just break that limit. What you ought to determine is, I'm going to spend time with Jesus today. And you may be 10 minutes with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit will say, hey, it's great getting together, and I get on with your day. There will be other times the Holy Spirit says, just sit a little bit longer. Just sit a bit longer. And maybe you have to go to work, that's fine, but in the back of your mind you say, when I get home, I'm going to just sit a little bit longer. Or over lunch hour, I'm going to sit a bit longer. Why? Because we have dialogue, we have conversation, we have relationship. But Jesus says, when you pray, just be clear and just be specific. And then listen to the Lord and cooperate with what he's already doing. So keep that in mind. I once spoke to a man a little while ago, and he said, Pastor, he said, I need you to pray for me because I need a new job. And so I said, oh, I said, you have a tough time or with COVID and stuff or, you know, is the job going to close? He said, no, 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 oh, that's fine. He said, I just don't like my boss. And my boss doesn't like me. So I just need a new job. Seemed to make sense. But that leads me to the next point. That prayer that gets answered is the prayer that is based upon real need. Real need. In verse 8, Jesus said, He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Friends, I promise you, God will give you as much as you need. As much as you need. 
This man I spoke to, he wanted God to give him another job. Not because his needs were not being met in that job, but because he and his boss didn't get along. So I asked a simple question. I said, have you been praying for your boss? But he didn't want to hear that. And to be honest with you, at that point, I wasn't even sure I was going to bother praying for him. Because it just, it just seemed to be all upside down. And I wasn't trying to be hard on the guy. But Jesus said that the, the needs that are answered, or the prayers that are answered, are based on real need. So I told the guy, I said, look, I don't mean to be unkind, but I just don't feel like I can pray for another job for you until you start doing your job as a child of God and be salt and light where you are. Like, I just kind of feel like that's the way I need to be praying for you. Well, not surprisingly, he didn't, didn't like that comment. And I don't know that God didn't have another job for him, but what I do know is that he uses these kind of situations to work redemptive things in us. And so I said, look, let's pray together. But I'm going to pray for a change of heart, a change of heart for you and for your boss. And so I prayed. And, and I, he probably left feeling like it was a total waste of time. But, you know, that wasn't uncommon in the New Testament. You see, people that would talk to Jesus quite oftentimes would leave kind of disappointed. Why? Because Jesus would go right to the issue, right to the heart, right? He said, ah, that's not what I wanted. But he said, no, I know what you need. I know what your real need is. And so he'd point them that way. Well, about a month later, I saw this guy again. He started walking toward me, and his face was just beaming. He said, Pastor, God answered my prayer. And being a man of faith, my first thought was, you get a new job? No, 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 no. He said, I'm still working at the same place, but I went home after we prayed together, and I started praying for my boss. And now my boss and I are best friends. And I actually got a promotion. You see, when you start praying for the real need, what happens? It begins to release a lot of stuff. When you're just praying according to your flesh or what you want, there's a lot of demonic activity in there, a lot of flesh, a lot of selfishness. When you get to the real need and say, God, okay, your heart is this. I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that person. What happens? All those things begin to loosen up and fall away. And the Lord begins to release some wonderful things. That really ties into my next point, that prayers that get answered are prayers that link the answer to an action. The answer to an action. What I mean by that is that the person in our story here who's asking for bread, he isn't just asking for bread. He's asking for bread for a reason. He's asking for bread because he wants to minister hospitality to his guest. And how many prayers do we pray that are just an end in themselves? But God doesn't answer it because God answers open-ended prayers. What do I mean by that? Listen to what James said. He said, when you ask, you do not receive because the reason you ask is wrong. You want things so you can use them for your own pleasures. So what is your need? Is your need financial? Is your need have to do with a relationship? Does your need have to do with you know, sickness in your body? Does your need have to do with, with your spiritual gift? Whatever it may be, what is your need? Jesus said, God will give you as much as you need. He will give you all of it. But he says, when you ask, whatever your need is, finish the statement. Don't just say, Lord, this is what I need. But Lord, I ask for this, for this. This is for that. I really believe that many prayers go unanswered. 
Because for many of us, our lives are like a dead end or like a cul-de-sac. And it's kind of like I have a need, 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 and God just back up the truck, dump it on my front lawn, and that's where it stays. My needs, what I need right now. But our lives need to be more than that. You see, all of our lives are interconnected more than we realize. That's why we, we talk of fear a bit or try to encourage the body to activation, to, to spiritual gifts, to stepping out of our faith in the marketplace, the workplace, to expect to hear from the Lord, to pray for the sick, to, to talk to people about Christ. Because more than we see, our lives are so interconnected as God sees. And he's looking for people who will realize that it's not just about us. It doesn't just stop with us. The Lord wants ministry to flow. Whatever he flows to us, he wants to flow through us. He doesn't want it to stop with us. And so part of the reasons prayers don't get answered is because it's just for us. And, and God our Father delights in giving good things to his children, just like we do. But how would you feel about your children is that you blessed them, gave them things, they were happy, they had their toys, everything was going well. But then a child comes to visit, and what do they do when they want to play with them? Mine! Right? Doesn't that infuriate you as a parent? Like you, you almost feel like the child has showed you up in public that maybe you haven't been teaching them very well. You've been spoiling them. And how many times does that happen to the body of Christ? I don't know how many times a need pops up. Something, you know, that God wants to do, wants to bless somebody or the, the church ministry, we need to do something, expand some way, whatever. And by people's response sometimes, you just kind of hear that spiritually. No, mine. No, no, God gave me, you know, this is my money. Do you realize all God has to do is kind of massage your windpipes just a little tighter? And you're not here anymore? Yeah, that's how fragile our lives are. That's how, you know, lasting the things that we have. He wants us to live open-handed. That whatever he pours into us, that's a biblical principle. He will meet my need. But having met my need, he says, now there's lots of other needs. Bless Whatever gift I've given you, whatever prayer I've answered for you, it's not just for yourself. But the final point concerning prayers that get answered is that they're prayed by people who can overcome challenges. They're prayed by people who can overcome challenges. The man goes to the door of his friend in the middle of the night, and his friend says this. He says, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So the man has a real need, but he's met with a challenge. I can't get up. I'm not going to get up. And friends, I promise you, anytime you have a real need, it will always be met with a challenge. Sometimes it will be a human challenge. Sometimes it will be a demonic challenge. It's never going to be a divine challenge. It's never going to be a challenge from God. If it is a need, the Lord promises to meet our need. Now, he may say no on some things, and we learn after a while it wasn't really a need, or if he did what we asked, things wouldn't have worked out very well. But if it's a real need, the Lord says, I promise to meet your needs. But here's the key. Unless you learn to handle the resistance that comes against you, you will never break through to that place where your prayers actually begin to be answered. There is a principle of breakthrough. There's a principle of pushing through. Jesus said in verse 8, even if he will not get up and give you the bread because you are his friend, yet he will get up and give you everything you need because what? You are not ashamed to keep on asking. What's he talking about? 
He's talking about a resolve in the heart of the people of God that says, Lord, I'm not going away. Here's my need. I'm not going away. And that has nothing to do with twisting God's arm. That has nothing to do with any kind of manipulation. It has to do with the fact that the person who comes with that kind of tenacity is saying, God, I have a need, and I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not making my own decisions on this. I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'm not going to try to manipulate other people or circumstances again. I'm not running to the bank for a loan. Lord, you are my God. You are my Father. And you don't have to remind him, but you're reminding yourself. Lord, I'm coming to you. You are my source. I am not an orphan. I am not on my own. I am here, and Lord, I'm not going away until we work these things out. I was saying to some friends just between services of, of just how we look at prayer sometimes. We, we look at it as a chore. Oftentimes, we look at it as a duty. Just think about this. Do you realize you have an amazing privilege of whatever it is that's on your heart I've come before God and saying, God, here's what's on my heart. What do you think about this? We actually have the privilege of dialoguing with the Lord. Again, we're not arm wrestling him. We're coming into the presence of an all-wise God who is my Father who loves me and just like us as loving parents who would just delight in pouring into my heart, talking to me about it, shedding light on it, even that sometimes help me to believe for even bigger things. That's the privilege of prayer. What do the old hymn writers say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. And it's for one reason, that we do not bring everything to God in prayer. Friends, prayer is not laborious. It is the privilege. It brings a lightness. It's like sitting down with your spouse or someone you love and trust and processing things. And allowing the Lord to speak into that. He may just give you a quick check in your heart. Hey, it's a green light. Go for it. It might be a yellow light that says, hey, hey, just wait. have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? We really can communicate with the Lord in that way. That's what prayer really is. Jesus said earlier that when you pray, remember before anything else, that you're coming to your Father. What's the big deal of that? It means that when you come to your Father, you come with a childlike boldness. That's not afraid to ask Him for anything. I was teasing my friend earlier as a, as a little child. I think Emily's like three years old, and Shane's a pretty tough, stoic kind of guy. But she has him wrapped around her finger. But isn't that always the way it is for parents? Whether it's daddy and his little girl or mom or little boy, whatever it may be. But you see, that child, what do they do? They come to you. Why? Because they believe, whether true or not, you can meet their every need. You're daddy. You're mommy. In other words, it wouldn't even cross their mind to go somewhere else. They wouldn't go to their teacher. They wouldn't go next door. They wouldn't go to some stranger, right? They would come to you first because they know you can meet their need. They know, right? You have a trio back that grows money. They know that. They know where it comes. They just know that you pull up to a machine and money comes out. You can do whatever you want to do. Well, whether real or not, friends, you see, we need to have that same heart to our Father. That's why Jesus said, when he said, Lord, how do we pray? Start with our Father. You've got to understand he's your Father. And he can do anything that needs to be done. He's got everything that you need. But you've got to come to him. You've got to stop going everywhere else. You've got to start making him the last one on the list that you go to. When all else fails, pray. You need to learn to go to your Father. And friends, that attitude just needs to define our prayer lives again. 
See, many of us tend not to come to God that way because we don't believe that in the larger scheme of things that it's really that important to Him. But Jesus said, I want you to know that your need is important to Him and you can pray shamelessly. Shamelessness just has to do with tenacity. It means that you come and you contend for it. Why do you have to contend? Again, you're not convincing God, but in your contending, you're saying, this matters. It really matters. In fact, I would, I, would, I would say that if you just pray for something once or twice, it really doesn't matter to you. And don't ever get bogged or caught up in this foolish doctrine that, oh, yeah, you just mentioned it once to God and it's yours and you start claiming it. No, no, no. There's things you've got to contend for. There's things that God wants to process with you, things he wants to shape in you, things he wants to teach you along the way. There needs to be contending and there needs to be boldness too. This is I'm committed to finding an answer to this thing. There's too many things, friends, that we go through. There's too many things we encounter in the course of the day. And if we're really honest, we could care less if they work out. I mean, it'd be nice if they do. But we're not committed to it. We're not committed to it. We don't contend for it. And part of that is because the average believer is not in the Word anymore, so we have no idea what God says about anything. We have no idea what His will is. We have nothing for the Holy Spirit to use in our heart and say, Bing, red flag, no, this is not God's will. This is what I wanted to start contending for. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of, of God suffers violence. It allows for violence. It allows for contending. And those who contend will receive it. You understand from the word of God what your inheritance is, who you are as his children, what his will is as you spend time with him. And you say, okay, Father, let's go for that. And it may not happen overnight, but in your heart it's settled. That is God's will. I'm contending for that. I'm committed to this, period. That's where prayers begin to be answered. Many of us just give up too easily. And Jesus says, stay committed until the end, and he will give you everything that you need. I want to close with this story. Back in 1948, true story, a young man and new father walked in the maternity ward of the St. John Hospital. His wife had given birth, and in those days, of course, you weren't in the birthing room with them, so you'd come later on that night or the next day. And so he walked in that evening to see his wife, and he expected her fully to be laying in the bed, as you see in the movies, with the baby held there in that little happy little couple. But he walks in, and it's not what he sees. What he sees is this little bundle of a child that's in the corner, unwashed, purple, just laying there. He looks over in the bed, and he sees his wife unconscious. And he's just standing there in shock, and the doctor comes behind him and says, Sir, I'm just so sorry to tell you, your child is probably not going to make it tonight, and your wife will probably be gone by the morning. He was so overcome with grief, he just bolted out the door, ran down the, hospital, ran down the corridor, and he had one thought in his mind, I'm going to take my life. I can't live without them. They're going to die. I can't live without them. He was going to go down to the reversing falls bridge and jump off and take his life. And so he's on his way. He gets out of the elevator, and who's there but his father? Just walked into the foyer at the same time. In that lobby, they embraced. And he told his father everything, everything was going on, what the doctors had said. And immediately the father, who's a Christian man as well, he puts a call out to the congregation in the church in Calvary St. John. And he says, would you pray for us? And people began to gather that evening for prayer in that sanctuary. And they prayed through the evening. They prayed into the night. They prayed into the wee hours of the morning. They prayed and prayed and prayed until together they felt a release in their spirit. God has heard our prayer. And the doctor walked in the room that morning. And the wife was sitting up. And the child was perfectly well. In, in, his wife's hand, in his wife's arms. He called him a miracle baby. God answered prayer. He answered prayer for people who were contending, for people who were committed.
for people who were praying for a real need. But you know what's really neat? Is that today, 73 years later, that miracle baby is my friend, Pastor Doug Moore, the former superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies here in the Maritimes. He is a testimony to prevailing prayer. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that prayer is an incredible privilege that we all have to involve God in our lives, our Father who loves us and who loves to give good things to His children. And in those times when you don't feel like praying, and in those times that you think there's no other choice than just taking matters into your own hands, Jesus says you've got to understand your Father is right there. He is right here with you. He's just asked you to turn to Him and just to invite Him in. And so the Lord says, bring your needs to Him. But bring your needs believing. Believing. I want to ask you just to bow your head for a moment. And I've asked the worship team just to sing or play this beautiful old hymn that we're going to sing in just a moment. But wherever you may be, number one, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that this morning, I'm not inviting you to a religion, you can know your Heavenly Father. Whatever background you may come from, whatever belief system perhaps you may have inherited, it might even be atheism, whatever, anything in between. We all have our own gods in our culture. They just have different names. But the living God is not a God who's far away. He's not someone you have to just do all these things for and hope at the end that you do enough good and not too much bad. He says, listen, I am your father. I want a relationship with me. You can know me. You can hear my voice. You can know my love. You can know my forgiveness, my freedom. That is available to every single one of us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God, then I invite you as we bow our hearts that you would just say, God, I don't understand everything but I know that I'm disconnected from you. Please forgive me for my sin. I receive your gift in Jesus who died in my place to pay for my sin that I can come back to you and you could be my father. And he wants to do that this morning. And if you're here this morning as a Christian, I want to encourage you. Number one, do you pray? Would you say that Jesus is your friend? Not do you believe in him. Is he your friend? Is he the first person you turn to, the first person you talk to? That's who he wants to be. That's who he's made himself available to be for you and me. Do you have a friendship with God? And then secondly, is there any area in your heart, your life, that you would say, yeah, if I'm really honest, you know what, I've just kind of been stuck in this, or there's a need in my life, but I've really just given up on asking God. Maybe I've asked him once or twice, but I don't really expect him to care about me. That is a lie. He cares about your need. But he wants you to come to him and come to him believing and hold on for the things that he says are his will for your life. If you've given up on prayer, I encourage you, pray again. I don't mean just get along with God and ramble on. How about doing the opposite this time? How about saying, you know what? I'm going to close the door and I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to listen until my spirit quiets down and I begin to hear the Spirit of God speak to me through His Word, by His Spirit, I want to begin to converse with God again. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.